Okay, well, I can't believe this is freaking happening, folks. It's been a while, but I'm back culturing season two. I am so sorry to any of you who are like, hey, you said you were doing a podcast still, and where are you at? And I'm like, yeah, I'm dealing with some shiz. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Tynan Allen, and I'm so happy to just be with you, to hang out, and to spend a little time learning together. 2020 for all of us was a year of years. You know, we're not gonna even go too much into it. First, there was the global pandemic and I was working at a startup and that thing really closed down. So I had to find another job to support myself. So praise the Lord, found a new one at an incredible company. I'm so thankful for it. But secondly, I'm a biracial black dude, Black Lives Matter, took on a whole new meeting last year. And even though I had actually done an episode, was sort of meta, but we had released the episode with Cicely Bell Blaine, who founded the Black Lives Matter Vancouver chapter. And we did that episode way before any sort of riots were happening or anything like that. You know, y'all were woke. You got it. You understood. You weren't, you know, waiting for it to get hype. You were thinking about Black Lives before that. So like... Clap, clap. Good job. You're amazing. Thank you for your support. I'm glad we were doing that work together before it became, you know, cool. But when it came to that next level, for me, it was just tough. I was wrestling with so many inner demons. Uh, You know, I don't need to go into too much personal stuff about it. But, you know, thanks to everyone who followed up with me and was like, hey, where are your podcast at? And thanks to those of you who kept listening to episodes of old who were like, hey, your podcast is still great. I'm still learning from it, even though, you know, it's maybe two years old. Most of the podcast episodes from this season, including the one from today, were recorded a little bit ago. But that's awesome because company culture is sort of timeless. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always needing to know new things. And the value and advice that these executive leaders and consultants from the company culture world are sharing with me in this season two are just amazing. And so that's it. I'm excited to have you here. Stay tuned. There's quite a few episodes this season. Honestly, I have no other words. So have a blessed day and enjoy the Culture and Podcast season two. We were in a, a big meeting, a strategy discussion, and one of the people in the room made a comment about something, input into the conversation, and I didn't even think about it. I had this automatic reaction where I made a joke about it, and everyone laughed, and it was a funny kind of moment of levity, which I love, and someone said, do you realize what you just did? And I said, no, I just made everyone laugh, <laughs> feeling really proud of myself. And they said, well, what you did is you, this person here who made this comment you just completely invalidated everything she said. You made a joke at the cost of anyone hearing the comment she made, and it's gone now. And I realized, holy cow, you're totally right. I was bullying people through humor. And, and just these little lessons are so powerful. And, and sometimes there are little fine-tuning tweaks, but sometimes there are these brilliant moments of revelation. That is Stephen Fitzgerald, and he's my guest today. I couldn't be more blessed to have him. Honestly, if you just listen to that first clip, you're already getting his essence of humility. 
And that I just feel is what marks this episode today. As a leader of an organization, the president of Habanero Consulting, I just am still, as I was listening back to this episode, blown away by how willing he is to do the work, to be corrected, to admit that he doesn't know everything, and to sort of lead with that. It's sort of his leadership style that he's like, hey, I run a business and I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do this company culture thing, but I'm on a journey with my team and we're learning together. And this is the position that I know is not for everyone, but is something that I cannot recommend more to start adopting into your life as a leader in an organization, as someone who works in an organization. If we can build this inside of us to where it becomes normal in our organizations to be humble, to recognize that we don't know everything, wow, I think the world would just sort of flip on its head and change. So without further ado, here's our episode. Stephen Fitzgerald, thank you so much for being with me on the Culturing Podcast today. I always like to just dive right into something nitty gritty. And I would love for you to share what your definition is of employee experience. I Thank you, because uh, it's one of my favorite topics. Employee experience is umbrella of everything that someone goes through in their journey, through their work time. And, and I guess work time is maybe not the right phrase because uh, work time is all the time for us in some sense, but it's all the experiences people have associated with their professional life. And that can be anything from how they experience the physical environment to collaboration with coworkers to sort of the dehumanizing experience of getting frustrated by poor technology all the way to the moments of delight when they're cracking the code on a difficult thing and learning and developing or being inspired by other people. All those things are components of the employee experience. And they all they're all they all contribute in a massive way to people's ability to have fulfilling uh, careers for people's ability to lead great lives powered by great work lives. And they have a massive impact on an organization's ability to be successful as well. Yeah, I, I love how in, in Jacob Morgan's book called The Employee Experience Advantage, he talks about how employee experience is broken up into three sort of categories, which you just covered. He says, it's physical space, it's technology, and it's your culture. And so mm-hmm. you've covered all of those things. I'm curious, because I know in your business at Habanero, you are focused on people's technology that they're using in their companies. Would you say that's true? Yeah, we really feel we need to have our hands around people, culture, and technology. And because most of our clients are larger, and actually it doesn't even, any organization with more than a few people, technology is going to play a big role in how successful you are and having any sense of control over your culture. So we know that we can't successfully do anything with the, with technology without thinking about the people and culture side. And you're very you're not going to go very hard shaping a culture without bringing technology into it. So it's pretty much part of all we do at one level or another, even if it's not part of every project. Technology eventually plays a role in the changes that we get involved. Yeah, that's amazing. And we'll come back around to some of your successes personally at Habanero because you've won some incredible awards and multiple over many years. And I want people to hear that story. But before we get there, I'd like you to talk about sort of leaders in general that you're seeing. What are the trends that you're seeing in employee experience? What are some of the trends you're seeing in company culture? And quite specifically about how leaders today are thinking about those things? And and also, do you agree that's the way they should stay thinking about it? Or do you think they need to sort of rise in their, I I don't know, maybe the right word is even, I'm trying to think of it, it, almost their sophistication about Mm. how they think about Mm. these topics. Do you think we're at a good level or do you think we have some room to grow and how do you see those trends? 
Well, I definitely think we have room to grow. My experience is that leaders have a dawning appreciation for the role that the individual experience has in their overall success as a company, but it seems to be pretty early days. I still run into leaders that more or less are sort of like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I just tell people what to do and they do it. And like that's leadership. Surprisingly, that still exists. And there's a broad spectrum of where people are at in between there and what I would call a more fully modern humanistic leader who understands that he or she needs to create the environment for their people to um, bring their best selves to work and do, do their best work. Okay, friend. So as you probably know already, if you've been listening to this podcast for even probably one episode, you'll recognize that HR and me are not always the best of buddies. But that doesn't mean that I don't absolutely respect the HR profession and how important it is for our organizations. So what I did was I found a partner that I believe in and trust to recommend to you for your HR needs. I want to bring to your attention an organization called Peninsula Canada. I'm gonna share more about them later in this episode, but even if you are just already recognizing that you need some HR help, they offer 24-7 advice, software, and help with your contracts and documentation, workplace safety, employment-related matters, all the whole shebang. So. That's it for now, but I couldn't have done season two without Peninsula Canada, and I'm so thankful for them. So check the link in the show notes and enter the code CULTURE if you are at all interested and want to book a call with them today. So that, in terms of where leadership is at, I, I think there's room to grow because it's one thing to start to appreciate the value of your people and the impact that they can make on your success. Then you start the journey of really building competence as a leader in terms of your ability to bring that forward. And so another big trend I see in leaders that's, again, burgeoning is this idea that leaders are getting their head around the idea that we're not really in a plan and execute world anymore. Leaders need to have the ability to engage in uncertainty in the organization and be experimental and try to get their heads around problems that are complex in nature and, and it require an emergent sort of test and validate approach rather than the an older school plan and implement approach. So this shift of what leaders have to go through, it's significant because it actually requires leaders to show up differently. They can no longer be the leader that comes in with the answers and the plan. They need to actually show some vulnerability and they need to admit first to themselves and then bring the whole organization into the idea that they don't know the future. They don't know the exact path forward. Nobody does. And our way to get through there is to be agile and experimental and focus on learning rather than getting tasks done. So that actually demands a lot from the modern leader, just from a personal ego and self-image and identity point of view, at that, even at that level. Yeah, and going back to sort of this sophistication element, I think when a lot of the topics around like what people would plan for, what people would then execute on, these were strategic initiatives, perhaps that didn't have things to do with culture. Maybe it was a rollout of a new technology or it was how are we going to drive more sales? But now that people are trying to create culture strategies or employee experience plans, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, do you think we have enough really solid data to even make a plan in the first place? And what do you think the data needs to look like? If somebody is sitting here listening to this podcast, they're like, 
yeah, I have a plan for my culture. I, I want to execute on a really great culture. I want to take this forward. I, I believe that. What is the data they should be looking at to know what they need to change or what they should keep the same? Yeah, that this is a really fascinating issue because it at a, at a really fundamental level, it leads to the very natural and human instinct that we all have to focus on solutions and rush by the problem and, and not really give it any notice. And so I notice this a lot in organizations of all size, maturity and sophistication. People come up with a hypothesis about a solution and they start getting momentum around that in the organization. And no one's actually stopped to understand what the problem or opportunity is that they're pursuing. So this idea of being solution oriented is something that has to change and evolve. And and look, thinking specifically about the data, a lot of the organizations we work with are getting really good with, are getting better rather all the time with good quantitative data using great survey tools like CultureAmp and tools like that. They're getting a really good drumbeat of insight from a quantitative point of view about what the health is of their organization and allows you to triangulate into areas to focus on. And so the way we see it is that surveys are are as good as the questions you can think to ask. So they're you know, great surveys are very valuable, but they get you sort of into the right city and into the right neighborhood. And you need to go from there, from that quantitative survey-based analysis to more something that looks more like empathetic research. And that will get you from the right neighborhood into the right street, into the right house, and probably the right room and the right corner of the room to really understand what the problems are. And this idea of organizations developing the capability to objectively understand what the experiences are, the lived experiences are for of the people in their organization through capable empathetic research. It's a very new area in organizations. It's a kind of a new emerging area that is quite strong in the area of customer experience, but it's still very weak in the area of employee experience design. Wow, that's really interesting. I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. So I'm glad you shared that. The thing that I often see is that leaders will actually have really high aspirations for their culture and their employee experience. They really want to make it better. Mm. But often what they don't realize is how many people in their organization are not on the same page as them about it. They don't actually feel like they can put in as much effort as the leaders say they should, or they don't see how what they do as a leader. Often we hear about the manager dilemma, right? We hear mm -hmm. about this trickle down doesn't actually happen where you have your new hire being told by your career site that this is an amazing company with a great culture. And we, we can touch on this a little bit later with your success, but often brands will say, well, we've won a best place to work survey or we've won most high rated CEO. Hmm. And then it's sort of like awesome because Glassdoor says you're awesome. I want to work at your company. And then you get into the company and you're like, well, I never actually talked to the CEO. So even though he's awesome or she's awesome, my manager hates me and is garbage at leading. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, how do we address this when, yeah, the CEO can't lead everyone because like on a day-to-day -day basis, it's so impossible. You as a president can't do that. You can't oversee every relationship. Yes. So how do we improve the trickle down of what the vision for culture is unto the rest of the organization? Well, I think a big part of it was the last question around insight into really what the experiences are for people in the organization. But, and there are other, what I would call sort of pillars that really drive a strong culture. My, my personal feeling is, my strongly held belief is that this, the most powerful pillar is purpose. And it is the way that 
if you are if you can really authentically find the, your purpose in your organization we and we say that building your purpose is 90% archaeology and 10% design so it's really a process of going in and finding out the ideas that resonate in the hearts and minds of the people in your organization and then articulating that in a way that creates this very strong driving force in the organization that gets you out of having to rely on a charismatic leader and builds that central idea that people bind to right into the the DNA of the organization. And from that, you want to be able to go back and actually test those ideas on a continuous basis. This is going beyond just surveys, but really finding out this idea of purpose where it resonates with people and where it gives them energy and a life force and animates the great behaviors that are a hallmark of your culture. And you also want to find the areas where there's dissonance, where that idea of purpose is not meeting people's expectation or needs rather. And what they're seeing in leaders and other people around them actually is in conflict with the idea of the purpose. And those are the ones you really need to concentrate on and understand and try and get beyond and basically fix in your organization to really create a, that strong alignment that you're talking about. So I'm curious as well, if we can nerd out a little bit more, I've lumped them together in this conversation already, but what is the difference between employee experience and company culture and how do they actually fit together? I know a big part of what you do at Habanero Consulting Group is helping people with their employee experience and crafting digital workplace solutions that people love. How do these two concepts fit together and how are they different? So uh, we we are big believers in, I would characterize as the Edgar Schein uh, definition of culture. Above the waterline, you have the the obvious things about a culture. Like we, we're informal dressers at Habanero and we look each other in the eye and we talk and there's a lot of laughing and smiling and th- that's just the obvious stuff. And then there's the espoused element, the, the things we say about ourselves. So it could be purpose and values and vision and key strategies and characteristics of our culture. But below the water level, that's where it really counts. And above the water level is obvious, but it's hard to understand how it affects people's behaviors. Deep below the water level, there's people's behaviors and they're driven by beliefs that they have. And really the definition of culture in my mind is that it's that system of beliefs, the shared beliefs inside the organization and the behaviors those beliefs drive. And so what that does is it creates almost like an operating system for the organization. I I know in my organization, I have a belief system about how people interact and relate, and it manifests itself in certain behaviors that are shared. And what happens is it allows me to take those things for granted. So I know I can crack a joke in a meeting and no one's, I'm not going to upset anybody, or I know I can be open with someone and it won't feel out of place. So I'm able to put broad areas of my culture in the back of my mind and not think about them. It's a mental shortcut for me because I know how to behave in my workplace. And it's all based on this idea of beliefs and, and behaviors, right? So it's a structure or an operating system that everyone operates on. And the employee experience is really what the individuals feel. So if the culture is that operating system, the way it manifests itself and how those behaviors show up in actions and the impact those have on people's emotional experience of, of their day-to-day a journey through the organization, the sum of those experiences, that's the employee experience. And so it's the outcome of all the things that happen in an organization. The culture sets up the opportunity to operate in a certain way and the employee experience is the, is the net effect of the outcome of people's journey through their day. That's awesome because you're a very vulnerable leader. Like I, I hear about you. That's something that marks you, that you really care about people. And, and I'm curious, has there been ever a time in your leadership journey when you've been sort of taken aback by being unaware about how you've been leading or 
thinking that you had it all figured out and then somebody saying something to you and you're like, oh, like I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Or I mean, we talked about a, at the beginning that a lot of leaders will sort of assume, or some still perhaps less and less are still going at it in their day saying, well, if I just tell people what to do, they do it. And that's not leadership. So I'm mm -hmm. curious, like, have you ever had a moment where you've maybe not that bad, but done something where you're like, oh, I'm not actually being the leader I want to be. And how did you come to the awareness of it? So I probably have a moment like that once or twice a month. And awesome. uh, I'll share one story, actually. I, just one particular thing sticks out, but there's lots of versions of this. I, we were in a, I was with a group of people. We were in a, a big meeting, a strategy discussion. And one of the people in the room made a comment about something, input into the conversation. And I didn't even think about it. I had this automatic reaction where I made a joke about it. And everyone laughed. And it was a funny kind of moment of levity, which I love. And someone said, do you realize what you just did? And I said, no, I just made everyone laugh. I'm feeling really proud of myself. And they said, well, what you did is you, this person here who made this comment, you just completely invalidated everything she said. You made a joke at the cost of anyone hearing the comment she made, and it's gone now. And I realized, holy cow, you're totally right. I was bullying people through humor. And, and just these little lessons are so powerful. And, and Sometimes there are little fine-tuning tweaks, but sometimes there are these brilliant moments of revelation. You're like, oh my God, that's a terrible, that's a, I do that all the time and it's terrible. And I remember that it was a number of years ago, but I just remember that is a, is an example of, I think what you're talking about, where if you're really in a, an open, caring, uh, loving, but performance oriented team, and you really open the door to feedback, you'll learn these things all the time because man, no one's perfect. And we're always we're always we always have room to improve and if you build that culture of feedback in your organization and i'm not saying we're perfect but we do have these moments and, and for me as a human not just for my work life for my life in general that was like an amazing lesson and i get those gifts from the people around me on a pretty consistent basis and it's amazing it's wonderful yeah and i think what a lot of people would like to know is how did so the person that sort of called you on that how did that person feel safe to do that because a lot of times we hear of, well, as a leader might say this, they might say, well, no one's ever told me that I have this problem. And the mm -hmm. problem is that you've never created an environment where someone doesn't feel they're either going to get fired or not promoted or treated differently. They don't know. They don't feel safe. They don't have a safety net and they don't feel like you would actually have their back if you brought up a feedback that sort of pointed and it's calling your leader out. That's scary for a lot of people. So how at Habanero have you guys figured out how to actually create an environment where people feel like they can talk about that? Uh, I would say it started out organically and unconsciously, and we've gotten more conscious about it over the years. I'm a really big fan of the trust equation, this idea that on the numerator, you have credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And on the denominator, you have self-interest. And if you think about how those concepts knit together, and then you think about ideas like sharing a really strong common purpose, that has such an impact on, for example, self-interest. We're here to add up to do, doing something bigger. And if you spend the time, really spend the time with people at a deep personal level to get to know them, that develops that sense of intimacy. And if you think about the hygiene factors of really showing up for people and um, always telling the truth and walking the talk with them, that has a huge impact on credibility and our sort of reliability. And credibility is really important too. And part of that is 
if you're able to let go of your ego as a leader and be vulnerable and admit that you don't know everything, which none of us, that actually raises your credibility. I don't understand why people feel that pretending to know things increases their credibility. It actually destroys your credibility. So there's things like that. And those are all just little samples of all those ideas that I feel we put a lot of care and attention into culturally with and for each other. And that has a big impact on psychological safety in the organization, I think. And you can blow all that away with, with a few mismoves, particularly as a leader. So you have to be on it all the time. It just has to be a constant con- topic of conversation in the organization. Yeah. And it seems like so. if I put my shoes in the person of somebody who maybe started working at Habanero tomorrow, my question would be, well, how, Stephen, are you thinking about making sure that this person comes up to speed on this culture that we've created? We have a culture of providing feedback to our leaders and then providing feedback to you. And would one way of doing that obviously be that they see it an example, they're in a meeting and they see that moment happening. They're like, wow, like Stephen just got called higher to something else. Like, okay, I, it looks like I have permission to do that. Do you do anything else in the onboarding to make sure people know what you stand for and how things work around Habanero? Yeah, a lot of it starts in hiring and, and being really clear about the cultural characteristics that matter and doing a very thorough hiring process. Like, I don't know the exact numbers now, but I remember at one point someone would be in, in front of, they would have sort of 15 to 22 hours of Habanero FaceTime during the hiring process. And so we invest a lot in in-depth chronological interviews and things like that too. And the whole focus is, assessment, of course, on both sides, having them assess us and us assess them, but also trying to narrow the the expectation gap. So how can we create an environment in the hiring process where people really truly understand what it's like? And there's not we're not selling them, they're not selling us, we're actually just getting to the goods. And then onboarding, getting like there's all the things we do with the buddy systems and our, we have a full like a full onboarding process that I, I think we're really proud of. But what's interesting to me is that everyone comes with baggage and I figure it takes most people a year to a year and a half to fully unpack their bags from their previous career life. And in an interesting way, that's why people earlier in their career are, can adapt a little easier because they're, they, haven't been, they haven't spent as many years getting burnt in other organizations, Definitely. frankly, yeah. and beat up. And, and they're a little more open and easy, easier to get in trust. And I'm, I'm not uh, promoting ageism, but I am saying that it's a when you have someone who spent a lot of time, even in wonderful organizations, that obviously builds up a belief system inside of you that has to change in a new organization. That doesn't happen overnight. I think even with the most impressive onboarding effort, people still need time to unpack those bags and actually figure out what it really means to be in Habanero. And what's your recommendation? Like, how do you think this through? But what's your recommendation to leaders when they have somebody new come into the organization? How much do you think they should listen to that new person's feedback on your culture versus learn and adapt to your culture. So I often wonder, again, we sort of adapt to things. The culture is like the way things work around here. And there are still little things that can always grow and develop. Mm -hmm. And often it's those brand new people with a fresh pair of eyes saying, oh, like you guys do that around here? Like, why do you do it that way? Or does, does this look weird? But again, there's often not a great exchange of that person might just be feeling those things, but not know how to say them or not be like, they'll be like, oh, that's the habanero way. But I don't know if I agree with it because we did it like this at my other company. How do you weigh if it should be something that you actually do consider changing because the new person's like, why do you do it that way? And you're like, we don't know why we do it that way. Or <laughs> yeah. versus like, no, we've decided that this is our way of doing 
this and we thank you for your feedback, but we're going to keep doing it this way. How do you know how to weigh that? Yeah. I mean, going back to the conversation about culture and this idea that so much of what happens inside an organization is way in the back of our brain and we're not conscious of it. And so it's, as you described, it's a golden opportunity to have someone come inside your organization with an objective perspective on it. And I'm not saying we're perfect at this, but you you have to listen to that voice. You have to hear people when they're saying, man, this seems crazy. This doesn't add up for me, or I just don't understand this, or these two things don't seem compatible. Like those, all those um, instincts people have as new, objective, fresh eyes, you don't get that from anyone else in your organization because everyone else is fully embedded in the culture. So it's really important, I believe, to find a way to hear those things. And, and, and there's other ways to get objective perspectives too, but this is a particularly useful one. So I think the goal is to try and create a safe environment as soon as possible where those people have lots of venues. They can come talk to me. They got a buddy. They've got their workmates. They got teams that are on. So they have lots of venues to surface ideas. And I, I think that one thing that I've experienced at Habanero is we were, when we were less mature as a company, we were more beholding to our ways. Well, that's just how we do it. And I feel like as we've matured as a company, we've actually become more open to like, oh, okay, well, maybe we have a, we have always done it this way and maybe that's not the right way. Like working on continually having that confidence as an organization in what we're doing. And again, I think purpose plays a big role in this, but that confidence in what you're doing and why you're doing it allows you to be less beholding to uh, the patterns that you've used in the past and more open to suggestion about those things. So I'm hoping people don't come in and say, this seems kind of crazy to me. And I'm hoping they don't they don't face a lot of, well, tough darts, that's the way we do it. I believe they don't, <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> it could happen somewhere. But I think that's the idea is it's about cultural maturity too and allowing, breaking down these kind of fixed ideas about the way things have to be and allowing more of a growth mindset with people. Yeah, and so to like to finish off here, Stephen, I want to bring us back to this whole notion of awards. And your company's done an incredible job at building a workplace that people want to work at. You've won number one great place to work in Canada four times. Like this is unprecedented. It's not common, and a lot of people aspire to be like you and the leader like you. So I'm curious. A lot of what we've talked to today was about leaders sort of heightening their awareness of their culture, of their workplace, of the things that people are experiencing as employees. What are you finding now that your experience has been that you've been able to win over and over again? What did you learn about the way to assess and benchmark your culture? Because I know that especially Great Place to Work as an organization, they provide leaders with the benchmarks. They provide you with some tools to say, hey, Here's mm -hmm. what a great place to work actually looks like. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about even knowing what they look for and then adapting that and building that type of organization? Yeah, what I guess one of the big things is that I really, and I know this sounds like a backhanded compliment or maybe a fronthanded compliment, but I really, we have a lot of confidence in great place to work and their methodology and their assessment. Sure, that's that sounds very promotional, but there are other organizations that assess on on a different basis that I don't feel is very credible. And because there's a lot of science and a lot of refinement behind great place to work is, works approach to assessing organizations, I honestly think that the only way to do well is to actually be a great place to work. It's sort of like you can't spoof the Google algorithm anymore because it really is helping people find what they want to find. It's just, it's that good. 
So for us, we rely a lot on their tool for inside an organization. We also run our own three times a year workplace health pulse. And then we, ha- we also have a lot of non-structured ways to, to understand what's going on, both at a macro and, a, and an individual level. Hey friend, just taking a quick break from our episode today because I need to tell you about Peninsula Canada. And the reason I brought them on as a sponsor is because if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you probably already know I have a love-hate relationship with HR. There are certain things that I know HR is necessary for, and there are certain things that HR needs to grow and develop in. But in a lot of small businesses that I've worked with and alongside and heard from, they still realize that HR is hard. And so what Peninsula Canada does is they support small business owners, startups across Canada by helping them manage their HR and their health and safety. And they do this through 24-7 advice, ensuring your workplace and staff are protected, that your contracts and documentation are up to standard, and that you're supported with employment-related matters. So they've got all sorts of services, HR outsourcing, HR consultancy, online software for HR, management of how you do HR in your business, and just advisement. So again, as you probably hear me talk about many times in this podcast, there are definitely some things that need to change in the way that HR works, but there's also some incredibly important things that are never going away and that you probably need support with in your business. So I'm letting you know about Peninsula in the show notes today. There's a link to their website and it will take you to a page where you can enter the code culture and they will totally take care of you so i highly recommend that if you are somebody that is kind of throwing their hands up in the air about hr or maybe you don't have an hr employee at your company or maybe you only have one and they're totally overworked and they need an extra set of hands but you don't yet feel like hiring that second hr person or that director of hr or the head of hr Maybe this is a next step for you and Peninsula is the step I would encourage you in taking. That's it. I'm not a big ads guy, but I am so thankful for them and I could not do the show without them. So please show them your support. If you support me, at least give them a chance and have a call with them to see if it might be the right fit for you. I just wanted to add that this honor of us being recognized in the way we have with Great Place to Work, it's been transformative for us as a company because it's brought us into lots of conversations with companies all over North America about culture and getting to talk to great people like you, Tyne. And it's given us a voice and a conversation that's important. And it's a conversation that's that's deeply at the core of what we care about and tied to our purpose as an organization. And it's allowed us to do something I think that's been very special for us. It's allowed us to, it's allowed Habanero to be almost like a a lab for developing understanding and technique and capabilities that we can help the rest of the world with. And so everything we do in Habanero in one way or another is a learning or experience or or gaining more depth in something that we we're out actually helping other organizations with. So that uh, symmetry between what we care about inside Habanero and what we care about in our clients is a real gift for us as a company. I I don't know many business models that, that are that 
sort of well lined up, but it's, it's a reinforcing loop for us to care more about our culture internally in Habanero and put more energy into it. And everyone is a citizen of that inside our company. Everyone gets involved in, in, in trying to make it continually better all the time. And it, so it puts a lot of energy into the process of thinking about who we are as a culture, how we're performing from that point of view and what people's career experiences are and how we can create more filling, fulfilling ones for people. Yeah. And I would agree with you completely that there are some surveys or some, I guess, awards that aren't as credible as a great place to work. What I would also say, and and I want to compliment you again on this, is that the one thing that I know that stands out about Habanero is that you listen. And what you don't do is that you don't do these surveys as many people do, right? Like across the board, most organizations are doing some sort of survey of their employees. Hmm. But often what makes you as Habanero, a winner in this category versus those that are lagging behind is that they don't share results. They keep it secret. They hear about the things that they need to change from their employees and they don't take action on it. And the yeah. only way, like I know this with 100% confidence that the only way you've gotten to be able to win awards like this is that you've taken feedback and you've taken extreme action on anything that you get, right? Not everything is possible to change right now. I know that right. you you know, would say that, but it's like you acted on what the feedback was and you didn't assume for a second that you always had it figured out. So I just can, comment. Can you I tell that. a quick story about that time? And the, yeah. we, so we do, I mentioned we do three times a year an employee survey and we try and get out sort of a week or two weeks post when the survey closes and we get in front of the whole company and we share the results and we actually get into the survey tool. Everyone in the organization has access to the full survey tool. They can look at all the results, all the comments. They can dimensionalize things, look at heat maps. And the idea is, number one, we're a very open book, sort of uh, transparent company. We really believe in loading people up with as much knowledge as possible. And we, because we want to give to people the tools to look after the culture as well. So we don't think I don't think Habanero's culture is Stephen's responsibility. I think it's everyone in the organization's responsibility. I have a special role in that for sure, but everyone at Habanero owns the culture. So everyone needs to know what's going on. Everyone needs the tools to understand it and make changes in it. So we have this quick cycle of do the survey, get out in front of the company, talk about with everyone, pull priorities out of that, build that into our action plans and our, our tactics for the company and just keep pulsing and moving forward like that. And that idea of being fluid and open and agile with the information and being super, super open, I think it's just a no-brainer to me. And I see other organizations, they hire an expensive company, they do a survey, they take three months to analyze it, they put it in front of their leadership team, that goes down to the second layer of leadership, and, and then it goes into action plans. And it's six months later, by the time they're actually doing anything, and the problems that they're addressing are no longer there. And the insights that they got from the survey aren't, aren't particularly good. And no one's been engaged in the process other than the leaders. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, I think we can leave it there and realize that's an action item, right? That's <laughs> yeah. an action item for every leader listening to this podcast that doesn't yet have that system that acts fast on cultural feedback. Again, it's like when you do a survey once a year, how can you expect to know in six months time from now that the same things are happening, the same issues are happening, and you haven't even addressed the ones that you learned about six yeah. months ago. So awesome. I think you're really hitting it on the nail and it totally leaves us with that check in our hearts to say as leaders, are we doing everything we can? And mm -hmm. if you're listening to this podcast and you're not in a position of a crazy authority in your company, you're not necessarily on top of this, but you can bring this forward. You can share this episode. You can suggest that people go and check out your journeys, Habanero's journey, Stephen's journey. 
go in and recommend that to your leader. Bring up in a coffee conversation, in a one-on-one, hey, I listened to this podcast. I heard about some neat things that winners of Great Place to Work surveys are doing to change their culture and make sure they're on track with it. What if we tried it? And take a moment to take a stand for great culture and a great place to work because that's where you work. (laughs) It affects you too. Well, that was fun. I'm so glad you were with me today. I got a little bit sappy there at the end, but I'm so glad you listened. I'm thankful for you being part of the journey with me and learning together about this incredible world of company culture. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to improve on. Our world needs people like you who are just passionate about this stuff and willing to have hard conversations, bring up topics at work that make people uncomfortable but are necessary. With that, we'll see you real soon with our second episode of season two. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever works best for you. And have an amazing rest of your day. Be blessed.